You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. WhatsApp sues NSO Group for spreading Pegasus Intercept software through WhatsApp service. Georgia continues its recovery from the large website defacement campaign it suffered at the beginning of the week. Facebook ejects more inauthenticity. Johannesburg hangs tough on cyber extortion. Money laundering finds its way into online games. Norsk Hydro's insurance claim. An update on pen testing in Iowa. And Bed Bath & Beyond sustains a data breach. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, October 30th, 2019. Facebook's subsidiary WhatsApp has filed suit against NSO Group in the U.S. District Court for the Northern District of California. The suit alleges that NSO Group exploited WhatsApp servers to distribute malware designed to enable surveillance of specific WhatsApp users. The surveillance tool said to have been used is NSO's Pegasus. WhatsApp says it detected the incident in May and that it enlisted the aid of the University of Toronto's Citizen Lab in the subsequent investigation. WhatsApp called the attack, which used WhatsApp's video calling system to get at its victims, sophisticated. The users who were targeted didn't have to answer calls in order to be infected with spyware. WhatsApp says it's put additional protections in place to prevent a recurrence. The lawsuit alleges that NSO Group's activities violated U.S. federal and California state laws, as well as WhatsApp's terms of service. It seeks an injunction against NSO Group's use of any WhatsApp services in addition to other awards. WhatsApp calls NSO Group a spyware firm, which is fair enough. Another way of characterizing them is that they produce lawful intercept products. That's how NSO Group would describe itself. The company strongly disputes WhatsApp's allegations. They say they sell their product only to licensed government intelligence and law enforcement agencies for legitimate use against criminals, especially pedophiles, and terrorists. Any other use of their products, they say, constitutes contractually prohibited misuse, and they add, we take action if we detect misuse. Citizen Lab has been a burr under NSO's saddle for some time, tracking apparent misuse by various governments in the Middle East and Latin America. Bahrain, the United Arab Emirates, Saudi Arabia, and Mexico have been singled out as the abusers. The Pegasus tool has often been mentioned in dispatches. Amnesty International announced, in response to this latest news, that the best way to put a stop to abuse of Pegasus is to revoke NSO Group's export license, and it's supporting a suit in Tel Aviv District Court that would require Israel's Ministry of Defense to do just that. The defacement attack against websites in Georgia may have affected as many as 15,000 sites, Forbes reports. One of the targets was the pro-service web hosting company, 
which is now, it says, restored normal operations. The company cooperated with the Ministry of Internal Affairs during the recovery. There is still no firm attribution. Suspicion of Russian involvement is based on a priori probability. And note that not everything that looks like Fancy Bear is in fact Fancy Bear. Remember that some criminals have recently found it in their interest to pose as the GRU, the better to spook victims into thinking that resistance is futile. There does appear to be some confirmed Russian activity today, however. Facebook this morning announced that it's just taken down 35 accounts, 53 pages, 7 groups, and 5 Instagram accounts. They all originated in Russia, and the content was generally aligned with Russian regional objectives and tended to have election influence as its objective. Johannesburg continues to recover from the Shadow Kill Hackers incident. The South African city has held firm in its refusal to pay the hackers. There's no word yet that the extortionists have made good on any of their threats, and so hanging tough may have paid off for Joburg. You've been buying loot boxes and stuff like that, haven't you? Go ahead, it's just us here. You can admit it, and we won't judge. Some of us, particularly on our gaming desk, well, let's just say some of us have been there. Anywho, there's more involved in this than just one-upping your buddies. In-game purchases are being used to launder money, and the popular online game Counter-Strike is trying to tamp this down by preventing keys bought in-game from leaving the purchasing account, thus making them less useful to those who would use them to launder illicit cash. So don't trade this stuff. Be content with sharing videos of you doing the Fortnite Charleston. Many of us have at one time or another, throughout our professional careers, thought about striking out on our own and starting a company. Some of us have even done it. My guest today is Tanya Janka, and along with her business partner Aaron Natu, she has co-founded Security Sidekick, a company looking to tackle real-time web application inventory and vulnerability discovery. Part of her journey was leaving a comfortable job at Microsoft. Both of us were pen testers, and then we both turned into application security people because pen testing is one part of the application security umbrella, if that makes sense. And it's the most glamorous, fancy looking part that is in the movies. However, there's a whole bunch of different areas of AppSec and running an AppSec program, you realize, you know, I could treat the entire disease instead of just a symptom, just like, you know, delivering a prescription near the end of the problem. And so we both started talking about, you know, like, what could we do to like, get in there earlier and and solve the problem on a bigger scale like you know like let's make big bold moves where um you attack the problem as a as a whole as opposed to just like you know as a pen tester i would come in and i'd be like pew 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 <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah and just find like a few problems uh, at the end but they still would be releasing lots of other apps that were really insecure and so uh, we came up with an idea of things, of something we could make that would start at the beginning of the problem um, to try to solve it on a bigger level. And so he he was like, you know, here I am, like traveling around the world with Microsoft, basically like 
they kept telling me at Microsoft, like, you should scale yourself. Like, maybe you could travel less and you could stream more or you could travel less and you could write more. And then I, I thought, well, I could scale the best if I made an AppSec tool. And they're like, wait, no, 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 no. That's not what we meant. Don't leave. <laughs> <laughs> but really, they were very supportive. Um, and <laughs> yeah, so we decided we would take the scary leap together and start our own company, which is which is so exciting. Well, I can I can hear the excitement in your voice. Um, I I have to to say, I mean, take us through that decision making process. You you've got a good thing going there at Microsoft. You have a certain amount of security. You have a certain amount of freedom. Um, you built a reputation for yourself in the industry. Uh, I think a lot of people would be intimidated to take this leap and go out on their own. Honestly, I was really terrified and scared. And when Aaron first asked me, I was like, oh, maybe in like five to six years. <laughs> hmm. So I run this thing called Mentoring Monday on Twitter where I try to match people with professional mentors. So I used Mentoring Monday to find a mentor. <laughs> Um, and so first I, I found a mentor and she's a CEO of a company and she's amazing, but she was like, you should just come work for me instead. And so then, um, I had to, I was like, okay, no, that's not the mentoring I was looking for. Um, we, we demoted each other from mentor and mentee to just friends. Um, but so, <laughs> so then I found an, another professional mentor and she is founded two really big companies in InfoSec uh, that I won't, that are Canadian and I, I won't name to, so she can keep her privacy, but um, she's so amazing. And so we met and her, the very first meeting, she's like, do you want to know what the biggest thing that I regret about the two companies I founded? And I was, you know, curious and what, and she said that I didn't jump sooner. She's like, jump, jump right now. Stop waiting. Are you really excited? And I said, yes. She's like, do you have any sort of crazy crippling debt or, you know, a hundred babies you need to feed or, or something like that? Like, can you, can you afford to just not have paychecks for a few months and just like, go do it? I'm like, yeah, but it's scary. She's like, Tanya, you're so qualified. Do you understand if you announced you're looking for a job, the internet would melt. You would definitely find a job. You would have so many job offers. You will never be unemployed if you don't want to be. So just, just go do it. Live your life. Just have like you'll never regret that you the chance you took and you will regret if you if you don't take this awesome opportunity to go work with someone you think is awesome and like solve a problem that you really, really care about. And so uh, she's amazing. And <laughs> basically I called Aaron and I was like, yes! Uh, so, yeah, it turns out finding a professional mentor is uh, pretty helpful. That's Tanya Janka from Security Sidekick. We'll have more of my conversation with her tomorrow when we'll discuss web application inventory and vulnerability discovery. Norsk Hydro's insurance has paid about 6% of the cost the company incurred as a result of the Locker Goga ransomware attack it sustained in March. The company's recent financial report suggests that additional claims might be filed as necessary. There are developments in the odd case of the penetration testers arrested in Iowa for burglary. Coal fire continues with some success to fight criminal charges two pen testers face for work they performed at an Iowa courthouse. The company's CEO, Tom McAndrew, called the situation completely ridiculous and he called for justice and common sense. What happened, in essence, was this. 
the Iowa State Judicial Branch hired coal fire to conduct penetration testing that included a physical pen test. The Dallas County Sheriff didn't get the word, apparently, and arrested the two pen testers at the Dallas County Courthouse. The two were initially charged with felony burglary in the third degree and possession of burglary tools. Yesterday, those charges were reduced to criminal trespass. Coalfire says it intends to press for full dismissal of all charges, especially since the Iowa Supreme Court Chief Justice acknowledged that, well, mistakes were made. We should mention that Coalfire is a sponsor of the CyberWire podcast. And finally, Bed Bath & Beyond, the well-known U.S. houseware retailer, disclosed today in an 8K filing with the SEC. The company said that a third party acquired email and password information from a source outside of the company's systems, which was used to access less than 1% of the company's online customer accounts. No online customers' pay cards were compromised, Bed Bath & Beyond said. The retailer also said it had notified affected customers yesterday, as required by law. And, as one would expect, the company has retained a security forensics firm and has begun taking remedial action. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration, Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. And joining me once again is Professor Awais Rashid. He's a professor of cybersecurity at University of Bristol. Awais, welcome back. Um, today we wanted to touch on some of the challenges when it comes to securing large-scale infrastructures. What can you share with us today? 
our critical infrastructures on which our society relies, such as uh, uh, water, power, transportation, digital healthcare, um, energy generation and distribution, they are becoming increasingly connected. And we are through, for example, industrial internet of things, uh, devices and so on, and connecting these systems also to enterprise systems, we are increasing this connectivity all the time. And that has great business benefits, but it also means that the size and interconnectedness of these infrastructures uh, make security a very challenging problem. So I'll give you one example. Uh, for instance, as we roll out many smart devices, including th say, for example, smart refrigeration across wide areas, then the scale of attacks can be very large and attacker can potentially compromise uh, smart refrigeration across a whole area and hence overload the power grid. And you can imagine that the impact of attacks are uh, considerably larger as well. Uh, disruption to a, a large population and um, uh, massive business losses. Yeah, I've seen stories come by recently about uh, potential problems with, uh, for example, hot water heaters, you know, devices that require a large amount of energy. And if you could uh, spin up some sort of botnet to trigger them simultaneously, well, that could cause some trouble in the grid. Uh, absolutely. And I think this is really where the, where the challenge comes, because uh, we we cannot. There is good business reasons to not isolate these systems from from the rest of the environment uh, in the first instance. But we need to have more uh, systematic ways of having uh, security assurances about about their behavior. And I will go even further and say we need to have more resilience assurances about their behavior. So in, in an ideal, well, not in an ideal, in any world, you do not want your, uh, you do not want to have to take your power grid offline because there is an attack going on. What you want to do is you want the power grid to be able to respond to it gracefully and maintain perhaps uh, its operation at somewhat reduced capacity and then recover very, very gracefully. Uh, and I think this is really where um, I would say the the frontier lies at the moment for uh, for cybersecurity because while we create these massively connected infrastructures from which we derive great value and they end up in our society, we also have to think about as to this is not a case of you know these infrastructures being compromised and then being unavailable. They have to be able to be resilient in an increasingly um, adversarial world where secure and insecure devices and systems interact. Yeah, and it seems to me like there's an economic component as well. I mean, I've talked to folks who, who describe uh, remote systems that are, are away from cities or towns, and so uh, they're not monitored by people on site. They're remotely monitored, and so um, having confidence in the data that they're returning back to you, well, that's an important aspect. Absolutely. And it is it is not really possible for efficiencies reasons for all edge sites to be uh, monitored by, by human personnel and also 24 hours a day. But equally, there can also be the challenge that if devices or systems in these edge sites can be compromised uh, or peripheral sites, as they're, they're also known, can be compromised, then it can be quite a cost to the organization because you do then have to go on site. Okay, and if you can think about it, an attacker can just simply make themselves a nuisance by just constantly bringing a particular peripheral site down, taking it out of operation. Uh, and while it may not have a systemic impact on the whole system, it does require engineers to consistently go out to that site and sense uh, uh, incurring significant cost for the organization in dealing with the problem. Yeah, it's sort of a death by a thousand cuts, I suppose. 
Uh, yes, and 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 we do see that. We already do see that. That you know, the attack does not necessarily need to lead to a um, massive data breach or even a massive disruption of service. It can just be just be what you would call a nuisance attack. But that does not mean that it does not create a huge cost to the organization that operates the system uh, or the infrastructure, and also those who are charged with maintaining and defending the infrastructure, and ultimately. People who work on game theoretic notions of security, they, they they would say, you know, this is ultimately a game theoretic problem as to how the attacker wants to, you know, increase the cost to the defenders, and the defenders, of course, want to minimize their cost but increase the cost to the attackers. And here I go back to this this point that we need to have more more resilient systems who can actually withstand these kind of issues and gracefully recover when they are under attack without having to, you know, constantly rely on people having to go and fix these kind of problems. Yeah. Professor Awais Rashid, thanks for joining us. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Vaughn, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Ivan, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.